Welcome to the Strength Talking Shop Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. This week's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. Protein is the key to muscle recovery. Optimum Nutrition's gold standard 100% whey protein provides 24 grams of protein that mixes easily using just a glass and spoon. Gold standard 100% whey is made in their state-of-the-art facility. It's banned substance tested by Informed Choice through Optimum Nutrition's athletic program. You can also get products such as ProGainer for bigger athletes looking to get bigger. You can also get ready-to-eat protein snacks like Cake Bites, Wafers, Crisp Bars, and Almonds. And after dominating the sports nutrition industry for over 30 years, newly created Optimum Nutrition Athletics brings that same trust and quality that knows how to put convenient options for protein in the hands of athletes who desire to become bigger, stronger, and better at their sport. If you guys want to contact Dave Harvey with Optimum Nutrition, his information is going to be down in the show notes. I highly recommend you reach out to him if you're looking for some kind of source of this protein and all the different options that they have, guys. It's a company that I really believe in, some great products, and always reach out to Dave with all of your needs with Optimum Nutrition. Thank you for being our sponsor this week on the podcast. This week's podcast uh, guest is Pat Basil. He's the head strength and conditioning coach at Hamilton College, a Division three school up in New York. We dive into topics such as you know, getting your, co- you know, your foot into coaching, talking about the conjugate method. We're also talking about personal finance with coaches and how coaches we need to learn how to do personal finance, uh, to learn things just outside of the weight room uh, that can lead to, to a better life inside the weight room. It's a wonderful episode. I really love what Pat does with his conjugate method and, and how he trains his athlete using the conjugate method. I think it's really unique. He gives us that, uh, that template of what he does weekly. I think it's wonderful. Everybody, if you could just rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, that would be awesome. It lets us know how we're doing, how the quality is here, guys. Thank you to all of our past guests. Thank you for all of the people that help support this podcast. Make sure you get that five-star on Apple Reviews. Again, thank you to our sponsor this week, Optimum Nutrition. Again, reach out to Dave Harvey's information is down in the show notes for all of your needs with Optimum Nutrition. And everybody, stay strong. What's up, guys? Strength Talking Shop Podcast. Very excited for this week's guest, uh, Pat Basil of Hamilton College. He's the head of strength and conditioning. Pat, what's going on, man? Hey, how we doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, we're doing fantastic, man. I know we talked a little bit before the podcast. Uh, it's great to finally get to talk with you, to kind of pick your mind a little bit. Why don't you go ahead and give the listeners just a brief background to how you got started in strength and conditioning. Sure. So uh, originally from Long Island, Suffolk County. Same Islanders out there, what's up? Um, so I've always been big into the weight room. There was a local gym up the street from my house, and me, uh, me and my brother got started reading the bodybuildings at the bodybuilding magazines at the barbershop because that's what they have at the uh, barbershop of Long Island is bodybuilding magazines. So go figure. So we did, you know, we looked like branch Warren and flex wheeler shoulder routine. That's what we did for years. You know, I had my old training log from like eighth grade and it's like, we did the same exact thing for like two years straight with like no changes. So I've always been big into later. I've always liked training. Uh, first got into the organized thing. Parisi actually started to get big in my area when I was in high school. So I started training there and got into the idea of strength and conditioning, sports performance um, early in high school. So I was aware of it and what it was um, and kind of had trainers on and off throughout high school. And my brother was 
you know, a couple of years older than me. He wanted to go play football at Colgate, that's up here in New York, in uh, New York State. Um, and I was doing his, you know, his college approaches program, and so I was only in a college strength program in high school. And I loved it; it was awesome. I was, you know, sold. So I went on. I played uh, college football at Bryant University down in Rhode Island. Um, so that was my first immersion into a full strength program. Uh, well, I had four strength coaches in four years down there. So I got to see four different styles, four different leaderships, for better or worse, um, four different programs, um, and it was a really invaluable learning experience. Uh, so I knew it was kind of in my head something I liked and I wanted to do. Um, but then when I first got into the program and I went through a few years, it was, all right, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to be a strength coach. Um, so when I was done playing my senior year, I started interning with our strength staff like immediately after the season. So like the December of my senior year, I started interning uh, before class, after class, and then was sold. Uh, did an internship after I graduated. I was with uh, UConn football, which is about an hour away from Bryant. Um, I interned under Coach Matt Bayless, who is now the head strength coach at Notre Dame. Uh, he had come from Mississippi State, so to see the way he ran things was awesome. There was no stone unturned, so thorough, so professional. It was awesome. Uh, from there, actually landed a full-time position as a football coach and strength coach at uh, SUNY Maritime College, which is rare. Um, and I realized it was full-time because I was basically doing the work with, like, four people. So if you don't work at a small school, you get it. So I was football coach, the equipment guy, the transportation guy, and the strength coach. So I got a little bit of everything. Um, it was a great experience being able to do, you know, being a sport coach, recruiting, doing all that operations kind of stuff, and then getting my feet wet, actually riding the programs and leading the team through it. And got to work out with some, some other teams too. Like the second team I worked with, the soccer football, was sailing. So I from football to sailing. Wow. Uh, it was a cool little experience doing some different stuff. From there, uh, job opened up with Bryant, my alma mater. It was a no-brainer to go back. Uh, it worked for the coach, Craig Buckley, who kind of was my strength coach as a senior, and I interned under. Uh, so he became pretty much like my mentor, and I, I really came up under him. Um, and I was at Bryant for about three and a half years. So to learn kind of under him and watch um, was really great. It was a, a great staff of guys. We all learned from each other. It was a great group to really kind of grow and mature. And then I uh, got the opportunity to come up here to Hamilton as the head coach. It was just a job I couldn't turn down. Um, great situation. And we're going on year three here now. So two years down, and uh, here we are going on year three. Well, I love, I love how you kind of talked about that. Um, you learned from everywhere, every stop that you went. And you took something and made it you know, to where you're at now at Hamilton when you got that, that, that head job. I think that's awesome, man. I think that's uh, some great advice for people is, Look at those little things that's going around you every single day because it's going to lead you down the road to where you're at. You know, talk to me a little bit about you know what you do right now in Hamilton. You know, being the head guy running the athletes. Is it just you by yourself? Um, you know, what's it kind of look like? Also, programming for those athletes. I know you talk a little bit about on Twitter your your conjugate stuff like that. I, w- I want you to talk to me about that. Sure. Um, so I took over two years ago. There was no kind of structured strength program. There was a, a long-time football coach who was really, really smart. Um, he was actually a conjugate guy, which is best happened by happenstance. Um, and he was the strength coach there for, like, decades. Um, and people still know this guy. He's absolutely awesome. Um, so he, he started doing the strength conditioning in, like, the early 80s. So I think he might have been 
the strength coach, like before he was in my city, FBS schools had strength programs. Wow. And this guy up at Hamilton College, and he knows, like, he knows Louis Simmons personally. He's an awesome, awesome dude. He's hysterical. And he pops around every once in a while. Cool dude. Um, but it was really no structured program. Um, it was something they had wanted to push for. The coaches were pushing for it. So they finally uh, got the position approved. We're going to hire somebody to build a program, and that became me. Um, so we really had to start up this structure of how do we get these kids through in the most efficient manner, safely, all that kind of things. So we have 29 teams and 600 athletes. Um, so how do we get them all through? And they're all they're all over the map. We have kids who have never lifted weights. We have hockey players who you know the two years and juniors in prep school, so they're twenty something years old. So we're all over the map. So it's how do we get these kids through having really no structured experience um, and scheduling. So it's me and me and I have a part time assistant. Um, so it's the two of us, and then we've kind of gotten some help along the way. We have one athletic trainer who is certified as a CSCS. She's awesome. She really helps us out. And then uh, I now have two sport coaches that have a USAW that help us out. They don't kind of do it on their own. We're always there kind of helping them, but they help us kind of split up the day a little bit. So our lifts, we go 45 minutes tops. We have to get teams in and out. Um, So we get them in, warm up, hit a stimulus, get out on with their day. One, logistically, to get as many bodies through as we can. But two, these kids have a ton of other things to do. Um, if anyone's not familiar, Hamilton is part of the NESCATs, the Northeast Small College Athletic Conference. Um, these schools are elite, elite, world-class academics. So like Ivy League caliber kids. You know, like 14, 1500 SATs, 5.0 GPA, that kind of thing. So these kids have a ton of work to do, a ton of labs. Uh, you know, these kids are going to Wall Street Medical School, so they have a ton of things to do. So we get them in, get them out. They have much more important stuff to get to. So we keep the lift short, uh, keep them fresh. We don't kill them, get them in, get them out. Um, 45 minutes. Yeah, that's turning them, turn them through. The other kicker to that is we can't have any organized team activity between the hours of 9 and 4. That's considered the academic day. Uh, so no, no practice, no meetings, no no team lifts, nothing like that. Um, so all of our, any of our structured stuff has to be between seven and nine, and then from four and after. So we go from seven to nine, and then four to seven, and anything in between that is considered a float lift. So just come on in, lift whatever. Just it's not mandatory. It's not stuck. It's just you come on and grab the workout. We'll take you through it. Um, so the way we split it up is who float lifts, who comes in as a group what time of the year, so on and so forth. So some of our sports um, don't let this group that has flow through. Um, and some do a good job with it. Some it's, you know, it's, you know, it's on their own, uh, it's on their own accord. So you think, you know, pretty much you go with that. Um, but then we, you know, turn as many through those team blocks before and after class and as we can. So we'll go, like a 7 to 7.45, then a 7.45 to 8.30, and then out to class. And then we get, you know, starting at 4.15, every 45 minutes, like through till 7, uh, we'll get that many routes through, and everybody else floats during the day. So that allows us to split the day up coaches-wise, uh, because we know in the mornings we're not going to see a ton. It's, you know, one coach for the two teams that come through. So it allows us, the other coach, to come in a little later, because you know the other guy's going to hold it down. So it allows us to split up so we're going late to seven. 
Um, so that allows us to split up the week a little bit. Um, and to kind of run the gambit of how do we scale what we do to the different tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, let's say we have a more advanced group like our men's hockey team. These guys come in from juniors programs or uh, prep schools that have good strength programs. They're a little more advanced versus where, you, let's say, a, um, a cross-country runner as a freshman never even imagined about lifting weights before. So they've never lifted weights. They come in, uh, you know, cross-country day one versus a 23-year-old hockey player. So how do we scale it? Um, so we have our advanced groups, our kind of intermediate, and then our novices. So like our novices would be like that track or cross-country kids never lifted weights before, uh, or any sport for that matter. Right. The intermediates are the kids who have been around, you know, been in our program or technically sound, but it's not super strong yet. And the advanced groups are the ones that can, you know, bench one and a half, squat double, and that's the stuff we really rock and roll with the conjugate stuff. So it's, um, it touches on the first two. The novices kind of just do your, you know, basic squat, you know, squat, lunge, inch, push, pull, get better at all that, really progressive overload. And they'll do a four-week program. It's just the same thing for four weeks, just adjust the reps a little bit, just so they get better and better and better and better and better at it. And it really builds their confidence. It's like, okay, I've done this before, I get it, and they kind of get comfortable with it. And that'll take them far through their first year of training, really. They'll get those newbie games out of the way and really build some confidence kind of doing something similar. Um, the intermediates where we start to incorporate some of the kanji itself. Um, we, we might do like a small rotation of the main lifts. We'll start to introduce your, dyna- your dedicated dynamic effort work um, on a separate day. So the dynamic, the big change there is going to be we'll do a heavy lower upper and then a dynamic lower upper so it's a four-day schedule on a three-day week and the way we do we kind of just run it through so it'll be like monday wednesday friday it'll be like max lower max upper dynamic lower next week dynamic max dynamic and just kind of keep going through so it's really easy to program a month block so you go through the uh you go through the cycle three times in a month there you go three months in a semester boom 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 three blocks you're done so it's really easy to program it's really efficient uh you know 2019 is just the easiest way to do it um, so that's the biggest change. Then we really, um, the max, let's say the max, we don't do a true max effort with anybody, um, because I think you to really strain under a max mode. You have to be an advanced, very technically sound lifter. I'll do it myself. Um, but I wouldn't do it for our athletes just because they're not, they're athletes. They're not, they're not power lifters. So they're that like super technical understanding how to hold tension and whatnot. That's just not what they are. I think kind of the water a little bit. Um, and plus, being by definition raw lifters, they'll actually build better strength, I think, with a little more like heavy threes and fives than they will with heavy singles up to a point. Um, so our max days aren't true max days. It's kind of like your linear strength. Similar to what if you were doing like a max strength phase, quote unquote, it would look pretty similar to that. Uh, then our dynamic effort day kind of mirrors a typical West Side um, a typical West Side template on like 50, 55, 60% three-week wave with accommodating resistance. Or for a lot of teams, we don't use bands or chains because I think it muddies the water a little bit. So we'll save the accommodating resistance for like later in the later in the training training age. Um, I want them to learn how to you know keep control and then really accelerate the bar first. So let's say we're doing we do do box squats. Not with every team, but our more advanced. Um, so once a kid understands how to hold tension and really sit and then accelerate off box, get that with straight weight first. So we'll do like a three-week wave of straight weight. 
at maybe a slightly higher percentage, like 55, 60, 65. So they get the idea of how to accelerate a submax weight. Because kids look at that, they say heavy and light. No, it's heavy and fast. So I wanted to dish the idea of light and start thinking of fast. So if a weight is lighter, it's not lighter, it's faster. Right. So once they get that concept and they understand how to keep tension really accelerate it, then we'll start to bring in um, the accommodating resistance. We'll start with chains. It's easier to feel. Um, the bands are a little more annoying to set up. Um, we don't squat with bands uh, because we don't have band pegs, so we can't. Uh, we will bench them. We'll loop them under the bench and kind of hook them on the inside of the bars. And that'll kind of be like the last speed wave, like going into the season or even like through the seasons. So we'll say the bands draw. Uh, the bands are like your ace card for speed because you'll be faster with bands than anything else. Um, so we'll save that for a very late training process. But most of the time, if we're doing a combination resistance, it's going to be changed. Uh, but we save those for very late in the training process, really only for our advanced groups. Um, we'll also dabble in it if we're doing like a max, you know, quote unquote max. We'll go like 80%, you know, four sets of one, like a cluster with chains. So it's like 80% plus chains for four singles. So it's not too max effort, but it's heavier than typical not dynamic effort. So that would be something we would do like going into the season. Like, not quite preseason, but right there. And now it's like our last kind of shift from heavy to a little more dynamic emphasis. And that's a little way we shift kind of the emphasis going from just strength to more power into it. Um, so it's kind of logistically driven. You know, can we get 40 guys through a chain? Or we have a group of 20. Um, and then, you know, save the, the fancy stuff for late in the training process because there's. I found early on they it muddies the water a little bit. Like you can throw chains on and use specialty bars, but you know they'll do their three reps. But did you really get what you want out of it, or you just do it with a fancy bar? And I found, you know, keeping it a little simpler with straight weight to start, you get a little better stimulus out of it. Otherwise, you're just like adding pinwheels on it to make it look fancy, and it's really not. So <laughs> keep it simple, straight weight. Learn how to accelerate the bar, and then kind of bringing the more advanced stuff later in the process or closer to competition and really get that last bit of stimulus adaptation going into it. Um, so those are kind of the ways we use accommodating resistance. I know that's kind of like a, a very general answer, but it, it's a tool to be used in a, in a ton of different ways. Um, so it's just kind of how we progress it and some ideas of how we use it. Yeah, I love that, man. I mean, it's, it's your tool, how you want to use it and everything like that. I think uh, what you said was really good in the fact of you have them, you know, work on that straight weight first before kind of throwing the, the bands and chains. And I think that's where people maybe get a misconception or maybe they, they think that they've got to throw that stuff on a little bit sooner than they really have to, because like you said, you're working with, and yeah, these kids are uh, intermediates. Um, so at least they've gotten through your program a little bit more. A lot of people will do that with a novice kid and they don't know exactly what they're doing. So I think what you said right there is a, a very important important point that I think people should take from this. But also, too, just the the uh, communication you constantly have to have throughout the day. I mean, you're dealing with so many teams in such a little time and in such a window. I don't think people understand those Division three mandates. You know, what's the mm-hmm. – I think that communication is key, man. And it sounds like that you've got the, the system going in the right direction, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what drives, that's what really drives it is, um, you know, you want to create a system where you can get as many through as possible, but the kids really take pride in it because being Division three, and then especially in the NESCAC, 
we can't have any mandatory off-season activity. So if those kids are there, they're there because they want to be there on their own volition. There's no coach breathing down your neck. I don't take attendance. We can't. So I don't take attendance. There's no coaches watching them. It's just they're there because they want to be there. So you got a room full of kids that truly God's honest want to be there, and that's awesome. And they make it really fun to work with. I think that's awesome, man. You're creating that culture, and that's going to you know help those kids when they go out, like you said, and the law and working out there and, and Wall Street and stuff like man. I think that's that's huge that you guys have set that culture there at Hamilton. Um, you know, you kind of let's kind of backtrack a little bit here. I do have some questions, kind of from when you first started in the industry. You know, what are some things that you feel like would have helped you sooner in your career in strength and conditioning um, that would help you now? You know, maybe it's understanding the, the business side of strength and conditioning. Maybe it's understanding you know, different ways of communicating. What are some things that you think other people could maybe look at to help them in their situation right now? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think early on um, at Maritime, I wish I had got a little more experience before. Uh, you know, I'm really thankful I got that chance to lead groups and whatnot. But, you know, I was 22 just out of college, and I didn't exactly – I had a pretty good idea what I was doing, but not really. Uh, we, we've all been there. So, I, in hindsight, I wish I had uh, at least another semester, maybe six months, kind of like, you know, introduce you know, doing a, you know, hey, you write the warm-up, and you, you take this group, and a little more guidance before I got in there. But, you know, you learn openly by making mistakes. So, I made my mistakes. I learned from them. Uh, you know, nobody got, nobody got killed or hurt or anything like that. But, uh, you know, understanding how to write a, a correct in-season program and how to, you know, just because you schedule something – Early on, which at another school doesn't need to work here. For example, you know, I went from UConn FBS to Maritime D3. You can't just copy what you did at UConn and bring it to D3. Not that it won't work, it's just the logistics are so different. And the, mm-hmm. the, the training level of the kids are so different. Um, so you can't just, and that's everything from programming to coaching to scheduling. Um, you can't just copy what you did in the past and do it there. Even, if, even when I first got to Hamilton, it was. A little bit of, you know, this is what I've always done. This is the way, you know, the field runs. And then being in Division Three and specifically the NESCAP conference, you have to adapt. You really have to adapt. And it's not what you think is the right way. It's what's going to work here. And it's, that could be everything from logistics to scheduling to programming to just the words you use with different kids. Um, you know, you can talk to an FBS football player a little different than maybe have a, a D3 tennis player. You know, that football kid's going to be expect to be in the weight room. He knows what to expect. But this tennis kid probably just found out yesterday he's going to start working out. Um, so totally different people. What you did or what you think is right, you got to adjust it to what you're going to do now. And then don't be, you know, don't be surprised when you have to do your job. Like when I got to Maritime, it was like, hey, we need all hands on deck. Um, I was like, oh, by the way, you got out this extra duty. And it's like, you know what? I got it. I'm going to help the team go. And at first it was like, hey, whoa, 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 what is this? But it's be a professional. It's like, okay, you've been handed this duty. Go execute. It's your responsibility now. And I wish I had somebody had told me that. Or I could, if I could go back and tell me, tell myself that, it's, hey, look, whenever you get put on your plate, you got to execute now. It's now your responsibility. So be ready to work. You know, when, you, when you're an intern and when you go to your first job, be ready to work because nobody's going to hold your hand at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then adapt be able to adapt to your environments it's going to be different from every school to the next regardless of level or anything like that so 
adapt, be adaptable, and then, um, you know, be ready to work. You know, you're a professional now, not a, not a student. Yeah, I think that's important. You just hit a main point. It's, you know, you're a professional now. You know, you've hit, you've hit the next point because I think there's that natural progression. You know, you, you intern, you hopefully get a GA, you go to a GA, you assist, and then, you know, you work your way up to a head sign. Some people, <clears throat> they just go right into it. They, they are lucky enough to get into a situation like that, and they kind of get caught doing that same thing over and over again. I love what you talked about as being adaptable. You know, it's the same thing with your athletes. You've got to be able to adapt every single day with your athletes. Wouldn't you want your program to adapt over time? You know what I mean? So you don't want to keep doing the same mundane thing. Or I'm assuming what your athletes probably would eventually get bored. You're not going to get that buy-in from them, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, get bored, keep fresh. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And then, too, at the end of the day, you might be there for a few years, but then – I'm sure sport coaches and administration are going to sour on what's going on down there and there's no progress being made. And then you're looking for a job. I mean, that's the unfortunate side of it too, that I think uh, people need to understand. So you made some really good points there, man. Um, I know for myself, uh, you know, the business side of strength and conditioning is, is something that I, I don't think a lot of people talk about. I know that you've, you know, put some stuff on Twitter as far as educating on like, Hey, go look out how to make, you know, money in the strength and conditioning, you know, talk to me about what's some stuff you think you should have, you know, maybe learned about. I know you talked about like compounding interest not too long ago and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's little things that I'm learning now, even too, in my, you know, my late twenties going into my thirties that are things that I wish I would have learned coming out of college and that we're maybe missing out on. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So being, being financially literate, and understanding how money and finance work, how to control uh, your own finances, is a huge thing everybody needs to learn. Not just strength coaches, but strength coaches in particular, because it's not especially the start. It's not a super high income field, um, so you really need to learn how to control your finances. But I actually want to touch on before I get too far into it. Yeah. You made the point: the business of the business of strength conditioning, or the business of a college or university, you've got to understand how strength and conditioning fits into a, the way a university works. So a lot of people will complain, like, they don't understand what we do, or this or that. It's, you know what? It, it's just a, it's a very small piece of the pie. And, you know, to run a sport, to run a, just a lot of sport, to go through an off-season and get the helmets on the bus and go play games, the weight room is such a small part of that. And it's the most important thing to us, but you got to understand the big picture. And this is something I didn't learn until later on in my career, um, you know, you have to see how you operate from a thousand foot view. Like, how do admin see strength conditioning? How does it fit? You know, it's the most important thing to you, but it's not the most important thing to really anybody else. Probably even the athletes. They didn't come to your school to lift weights. They came to your school to go to school, play sports, and then as a part of that, lift weights. Yeah. So, understanding the how what you do fits into the business of a university operating is so important. Um, but that was, that was a good point I just wanted to touch on. But going back to money, um, so this was kind of during my quarantine project. So, you know, everyone wanted to start make, making bread and learning how to cut your own hair early on in quarantine. <laughs> um, so what I did was start learning about money and investing. Um, for whatever reason, that just caught my eye. It's always something I kind of had my, kind of had my eye on because um, I've always been, I've always lived frugal and I've always been able to, you know, have an idea with money. Um, 
but really understanding spending and really understanding what is smart to spend on versus what's not. Um, it, it's so important so you don't bleed yourself dry or being able to have, you know, emergency funds. So if you do get fired or you do get furloughed, you have, you know, three to six months of, in, of uh, cost saved up. So not necessarily your income, but your cost. Like the cost me between my rent, car insurance, internet, phone, you know, whatever, you know, cost me $2,000 a month to live or whatever. You know, I need to have six to $12,000 saved up just in case. And that's like, a, you know, an emergency fund or if you're living paycheck to paycheck, what are you spending your money on that you can either cut back or you don't need to um, and really set yourself up well? Otherwise, you're going to be you know, spending on credit cards and you know, trying to keep yourself afloat when catastrophe happens, and it does. Um, and understanding you know, debt, what is you know, buying a used car cash versus um, getting a car finance, what's that cost difference over like three to five years? And this is... You know, I, that, this is a good time to me um, to, to learn and read about this stuff in numbers, but to the other people, it's really not a good time. Um, they like to talk about other things. I like to read about it. Um, but it's so important to learn about the basic, um, the basics of financial literacy. And, you know, you, can you go out to lunch three days a week? You don't think about it, but it adds up. You know, two Starbucks coffees and three lunches out to eat, like 50 bucks a month. You know, 50 bucks a week times four weeks, that's what? $200 a month, you know, 12 years, that's $2,400. You know, who wouldn't want, you know, whatever, 5%, 10% raise? Well, there it is. You know, eating so much takeout lunches and Starbucks. And there you go. You just gave yourself a raise. So understanding what you're spending your money on um, and then starting to put it away and save it and invest it, the earlier start, the better it is. Um, You know, I'm not a financial, I'm not a financial advisor or a planner or anything like that, so I can't like give advice. Um, but getting getting a, a control on your spending is the first is the first step. Um, the the best resource I've come across is um, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover book. Um, so if you Google Dave Ramsey, um, it, it's the basics of financial literacy. Uh, he does a really good job explaining it. He has a great podcast and radio show. Um, but everybody I should read that book. It's Total Money Makeover. And it's about how credit cards work, how you know car repayment plans and financing works, and how there's so many things set up to cost you more money than you need to. So understanding how some of that stuff works and then get your spending under control and then how to use that money to things like pay off debt and uh, you know, set up an emergency fund and you know, save up for a down payment on your house. You know, really good ways to kind of stop shooting yourself in the foot financially and be able to build some progress. So that's extremely important, um, understanding finances and handling money, um, you know, especially as a straight book when you get your first full-time job and it's like, wow, you know, I have health insurance now. This is great. <laughs> and going out and, buy, you know, <clears throat> buying, buy yourself a new car or, you know, getting the fanciest apartment, um, you know, understand you can put your money to work in, in, in better ways than, than just spending it. You know, that stuff, that stuff is great and I'll come in time, but, you know, get it in check. And it's, it's such an important thing, not just for coaches, but just people in general. Um, and it, it, it's, uh, it's something I've never been invested at least some time in. You know, I, I've taken it a step further in learning about what to invest in and different types of retirement plans and how to build wealth over time. But, um, you know, that's my idea of a good time to learn about that stuff. I don't know if I'll share this. No. Nope. So, um, 
Yeah. Start with the Total Mind Makeover and the Dave Ramsey Show podcast. It is the hit that he really uh, sets a good foundation of knowledge. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that, man. I think that's an important side of it. Um, like I said for myself, it's something I've taken really seriously over the last couple of years, and it's made my life flourish. And there's so many things that you don't know um, when it comes to finances and just being literate in it, like you said, just being able to understand what people are talking about on podcasts and reading these books and everything because, you know, that's your longevity of, of life is you got to be able to have that, that income and everything like that and you don't want to be taken advantage of and you want to make sure that you're prospering and, and your money's going to the right places. But to kind of piggyback off what you said for the beginning there as far as where we're at in the scope of things, I think you nailed it on the head, man. I think sometimes strength coaches um, look at their weight room and they get stuck on there and fascinated with their weight room and that, there's a lot more things that are going outside of that weight room um, that are bigger than what you're doing right now. Not to say, like you said, things are not big, but there's a lot bigger things going on out there that you don't really understand. So I think that's a massive point that you made um, earlier in what you said is just really understanding you know, where you fit at in the mold of the, of the university or of the private facility and, and the athletes like that. Is, I think that's important what you said, man. For sure. Sure. Yeah, you spoke in the wheel. The wheel's got to turn. You can't be a, you can't be the, the broken spoke that kind of throws things off. Yeah, man, for sure. You know, as we kind of wind down, I just want to know what are some of the resources you use to help you as a coach? Um, you know, whether it's podcasts, whether it's books, whether it's other people. You know, what helps you be a better coach uh, and at this game? Um, I mean, experience is going to be the biggest thing. Um, some really easy, some really easy resources. There's a lot of great discussions on Twitter. Um, Instagram is great. There's a lot of really smart people posting a lot of really helpful stuff. I've taken a lot of stuff off Instagram and Twitter. It, it really is important. It really is good, a good resource. So if you're not on social media, you know, even if you make just an anonymous one, just so you can follow a couple of people, there's a lot of really, really good information out there. Um, and it's a really good way to access you know, if you want to ask somebody a question, just shoot them a DM. I've done that a ton of times. Um, you know, and asking people you really don't have access to. Like, you probably never crossed paths with, like, you know, a world-famous soccer strength coach from Germany. But if you, you know, if you shoot him a DM, he might answer you. And you get a really good answer from a really qualified person. There's, you know, there's a way to, to connect. So, social media is probably the easiest one everybody can get on. Uh, podcasts are fantastic. Um, you know, those are easy ones you can pop on while you're sitting hanging out at night or when you're driving to work. Um, books are obviously great. That's, that's something I really ramped up a few years into my career. Um, you know, when I was, you know, like one to two years into my, into the job, I was like, I knew everything, right? Now I'm 23. I know everything. Um, so I didn't read a ton because I was like, I never really picked up a book that I would really learn anything new. Um, and I was dead wrong because at 23, everybody's dead wrong. And certainly I was, um, it wasn't until I found some books that really changed my perspective and learned some stuff um, that I really felt for the first for knowledge and it's been like a, a really good habit since. So, if, you know, 10 pages a day adds up. It's like, it comes up like a book a month. So 10 pages a day, there's time in the day for that. Um, so those are really good ones. Podcasts, a ton of them. This is a great one. Um, books. Uh, social media is probably your easiest way to learn. You, you said, uh, you know, the social media side of it, the the Instagram and the Twitters. Man, I think 
those can be so beneficial if you, like you said, you use them in the, the education side of it, man. I know for myself, when uh, I was getting ready for my last powerlifting meet, um, I reached out to a few people right before my prep and said, hey, like, these are some of the things I want to accomplish in my next cycle. Can you help me with this? Boom. Immediately right back to me, phone call. And, you know, that's a good education point and everything like that. I think if you use it for the right ways, it can be a really good tool for you, man. Um, I know for myself, you are somebody that I uh, follow and love all the content you put out, man. So, everybody, make sure you reach out to Pat because, I mean, his content is money. So, thank you for contributing such good information out there, man. I know there's a lot out there, but you're putting some good stuff out. Yeah, man. And one too, I mean, have you found it as well that you might you might see something on there that kinda gives you a new spin of like, well, they're doing it that way and you know, you might try that out in a few weeks on yourself and then okay, I kinda like this and then work with the athletes. Have you ever have you kinda run into situations like that? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, all the time. Yeah, that's, um, even if it's like a quick exercise variation, yeah. like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to try that. You know, this, this team would like that. And they'll say, oh, coach, this is cool. Where'd you learn this one? I'm like, Instagram. I saw it on Instagram. It's fun. And I did it. I liked it. You guys like it. So it's a little variation there. It makes it fun. Um, but something's really changed your, 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 your principle. Um, like we had a discussion you know, a few days ago about Olympic lists, um, and my view on them is, you know, we can get a similar result without doing them. Um, and then I saw somebody else made that same argument with trap bar demos on a back squat. And it's like, huh, he took out back squats. The only bilateral thing they do is trap bar. And they still have really good results. It's like, oh, well, you know what? I'm a big back squat guy. You know what? I can't accept that logic when it fits my argument and not when it doesn't. So he's really onto something there. He's using the same kind of logic, just hey, we took out squats and we only do trap ball, we've had really good results. Or like, we took out Olympics, we only do jumps and whatnot, we've had really good results. You have to accept, say, you know what? They're onto something here. You know, as much as, if, you, if, it, if it ruffles your feathers, that's a really good thing because there's a chance for you to grow. Like, um, I know Mike Boyle puts out a lot of stuff on unilateral training and whatnot. And, you know, when I was a you know 23-year-old squat guy, I was like, ah, this single leg stuff, I don't know about that. You know, back when I was stupider. Uh, but now it's like, hey, you know, Boyle's right about this and this and this and this and this. Like, you know what? There's something to this stuff. You know, it's, this guy's pretty smart. So it goes from, you know, this is this is ridiculous. I don't like it. To maybe he's on to something. To hey, this is actually this actually works. Like he's right. Next thing you know, you found a really good resource that kind of if it ruffles your feathers, you should really look into it because that's gonna that's a different side of things you haven't looked at. So if you see something you disagree with or you're not sure about, do the diligence, learn from their side, um, and it'll guarantee I guarantee it changes your perspective on things. Absolutely. You just nailed it on the head. It'll just change your perspective, and you've learned something. I mean, that's the, the whole point of it, because at the end of the day, if you just say, oh, Fooey, that sucks, I don't care what he says, well, you're hurting your athletes and your yourself in the end of everything. What? So sure. for those that did, don't, you know, didn't read that post because I thought it was great, man, about what you talked about Olympic lifts. Talk to me a little bit about why you don't Olympic lift with your kids at Hamilton because I think the points that you made were absolutely wonderful, man. Could you kind of dive into that a little bit? Sure. So a little background. I've always done them. 
I held the clean record at Bryant for years, so yep. I actually watched one of our guys break the record. It was like a bittersweet moment. Um, it was like, yeah, right, we, he got booked the record, but it was my record. So, was, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> so I had a good run. Um, so it's like, I've done them. I, I've always done them, and I did them with every group, uh, including golf. But I had I went with golf at Bryant, uh, and, I, and I taught him how to clean just because basically I could. I was like, all right, let me see if I can teach some golfers how to do cleans. And, and they did. They did a good job of it. Um, and we had every intention of bringing it to Hamilton. Like I, I started in the summer and the you know, semester in the summer until August. We had a couple of kids around, you know, doing internships and whatnot. And we were doing it. Um, you know, I had a senior football player, he was doing cleans twice a week. Um, I started to teach the freshmen that were there, uh, you know, the technique, really working on it. And it was until we got into the semester, because me and my sister, we both were in the same boat. We uh, we both had always done lipoglyphs. Um you know, we found the kids having not really a structured program, just the training level wasn't great technique. You know, they, a basic change, RDL, just didn't exist. So we said, all right, we need to get to a better base strength. We've got to be able to change properly and whatnot before we add this back in. With every intention of doing it. Um, and we just found that they got better and better and they were, you know, jumping higher, running faster. And without doing them, we said, you know what? It kind of was a little bit of an experiment. Like, you know what? Let's just hold off on this and see what happens. Um, and we found, you know, the jumps were going up. They were getting faster. And we were done, uh, like, 10 to 15 minutes sooner. So, mm-hmm. you know, everybody take, to do five, six sets of cleans, it takes, like, 15 minutes. And it mm-hmm. takes a minimum of four weeks to teach it. Um, so we just cut that out. It gets our kids in and out. That I think early on that was the biggest thing is it shortened the lift a lot. Yep. And it got the kids in and out. Um, just because we have so many bodies and we found the results were there without it. So it's not that we purposefully eliminated it, but we looked to replace it. It just kind of happened. Um, and we've, we've run with it since. Um, and that's really it. It's just you can apply that power or, or speed strength stimulus in different ways. It, it's a lot easier to, to apply than I think we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I think st- stimul- stimuli in general are really easy to apply. Um, it doesn't take much. You don't need a ton of volume. Even in my own training, I found that less is more. You know, if you can do, I went from training four days a week, three days a week, I'm fresher, I'm less sore, I'm less beat up, I take fewer deloads, and the results are still there. So if you can keep them, you know, stimulate, keep them fresh. You know, the, the, a really good example of this, if you look at like Christian McCaffrey's training, Yep. Uh, you know, he'll hit like a trap bar, he'll hit some sprints and like two or three assistant things, like that's it. And they keep them fresh at a very high stimulus or a potent stimulus, keep them fresh, minimal volume, done. You're good. And we found that that formula works really well. Uh, you know, get them in, apply the stimulus, get them out. And it keeps kids fresh, keeps them happy. We're not killing anybody. You know, our kids always have more energy at the end of the list than they do at the beginning of the list, and that's the goal. Um, so I don't, we don't crush them. I don't finish them with, like, stadium steps or anything like that. It's get them in, apply the stimulus, get them out, leave them with good energy. And that's... Uh, you know, if they're hooting and hollering on the way out the door, they're in a good spot. You know, if they're breathing heavy and bent over, we do too much. So that that's really all it was, and it's, we kind of found out what happened there. I couldn't agree with you more on it, man. It, it's similar to a story that I have when um, Trevor Love and I were working together. Uh, we were we had a conversation, and he said, let's teach these kids how to – let's do power cleans. So we, we did the initial four-week phase like you talked about. Um, and then we worked them through another four weeks and then we kind of bumped the percentages up and I think it was around like 75%. I mean, form was just, I mean, it was bad. It was not good. Everything broke down that what was going on with us. And 
um, we made the decision of like, okay, so this did, and, and also we're running in a, in a time thing where we couldn't get all the stuff done that we wanted to. Uh, so we made a conversation of like, okay, can we get this done a different way through like we were, you were just talking about the sprinting, the jumping and stuff like that. And we found the exact same thing. It cut our lift down. The guys were fresher and we still got the same stimuli that we wanted out of everything. And that was a big aha moment for me. And I think a lot of people, it just kind of happens and you could still, I mean, a lot of people can still do the Olympic lifts, but for us, it just did not fit what we needed to do. And we still got that same stimuli. And I found out from that day and it changed my life was less is more. So, and we can still get the same results. So it's huge, man. I think a lot of people will find that out and, and it's big time results, man. For sure. Yeah. Sure. So if people want to reach out to you, um, people want to follow you, how can they get in contact with you here? Sure. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I'm on all of them. Uh, Instagram is just P-Basil Strength, or if you type my name in, it'll come up. Twitter, same thing, P-Basil Strength, same handle. Um, Facebook, Pat Basil. It's all the same picture. It's like a picture of me in like a Hamilton shirt, so pretty easy to find. Um, I'm always on there, probably too much. Um, so if you shoot me a message or something like that, I will see it, uh, you know. I probably use a little break from social media, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm on there. My email, pbasilhamilton.edu, is on the website. Um, you you could DM me on Insta- on uh, social media. Uh, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, you know, it'll come to my phone like text. So um, any social media is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Right, it's a good guy, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on today, Pat. I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, longtime follower of yours. Uh, love love all the stuff you put out, man. So again, thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Well, everybody, make sure you reach out to Pat. He's got all of his information here. I'll have it down in the show notes as well. Wonderful information out on Twitter, Instagram. He's always putting out good uh, information for everybody. So make sure you reach out to him. And everybody, stay strong.